amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see so clear. I wanted to talk about that podcast, but more, not so much his message of, and I think that was the real. I think they spent too long, like, giving the backstory, which I can understand because if you don't have any kind of church background, you pretty much got to get a crash course before you understand the, you know, the logistics, the politics of it. And this is a, this American Life is like one of the top podcasts in the nation. And so it's got a wide net. Um, but, uh, I wanted to talk not so much about the, and the, the preacher and what he preached, but kind of the backlash of what happened to him because of what he preached. Um, and I think that was what the podcast is about. I posted the podcast on the, um, like David Facebook page and the website. So hopefully people were able to listen to it, but we're not going to really review or talk about exactly in the part, what happened in the podcast, um, more along the lines of just, um, what's right and what's wrong. It just brought up questions. Um, so it's just something interesting to listen to if you want, but it's nowhere needed. Um, but they, they kind of, present this as a extreme problem or um, look America this is happening in our country type thing um, preachers give their lives to ministry and then if they don't do something that aligns with what they've been taught then they are outcasted and I am um, I, I, I just, because uh, I had to talk to my dad about it, because he was like, this is so wrong. Like, you know, if you have a problem with your brother, you don't ignore your brother, you know. And this guy has been ignored for 15 years because he doesn't preach what they believe. And just because it, it differs doesn't mean you completely ignore people and, you know, treat them like scum. And I think that's wrong. And... I think he has some points like there. Yeah. I mean, no matter what happens, if somebody doesn't believe what I believe, even as big as, I mean, there's different levels of belief. Like there's something I know there's, there's the small details and there's the big details. And if somebody even doesn't believe the big details and we just agree not to agree, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to, talk to that person or or no longer have anything to do with them but i wouldn't want to be going to their church like i understand why people left a man's church because he 180 his theology you know and 
that's just going to happen. And they kind of presented it in a way like, oh, it's so wrong. Or, oh, like, I can't believe all these people would do this to this person. But he did change what he was preaching about, you know. And so, like, as much as it is sad to see somebody's empire crumble, and we've talked about big churches before, and those are machines, and... I mean, there's a lot of things that go into those, you know, to make those run, a lot of jobs and a lot of, just a lot of money and a lot of uh, commitment to build those things. And when they fall, it's, it's a louder fall. Um, but, uh, it, it all falls on this guy changing everything that he was about, I guess. <clears throat> and I think there is a big difference between, um, changing your message or like this guy situation and somebody who had like a what would you say like a discipline not discipline from like drugs or moral failure like moral failure um because i don't know what are are your thoughts matt just because i feel like i well what you're describing the problem you're identifying is a perception problem that someone from the outside looking in uh, it's easy to point fingers, even yeah. you know, the podcast, it's easy to point fingers. But for those involved in the situation, it's a no-win situation for them. Because either you appear wishy-washy by allowing anything to be said from the front and accepted out of love and compassion, or you appear to be uncompassionate by saying, you know, this, what you have preached crosses a line and, uh, and not for, therefore we don't want anything to do with you either in either scenario. It's easy to point fingers of, of blame and criticism. And unfortunately, I think that's what happens a lot in high profile cases because they're high profile. You know, this guy had a large church, which then, uh, dwindled as soon as when he started preaching universal universalism. It's easy for anyone, a skeptic, to point fingers and say, well, that just proves that this is wrong or that's wrong within the church. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a difficult situation oh, yeah. to navigate for all around. But it's, it comes with the, with the success comes the potential for that sort of notor- notor- uh, notorious failure as well. Mm. So I think that. I mean, just in, in what you were describing to begin with, I think the first problem is just one of perception. If you are looking to find fault with things, you can find fault. You can find fault with how situations are handled. You can find fault with people within the situation. Um, and it just goes with the territory. And I felt kind of confused when I listen to the podcast and they're telling this story about a guy who, you know, built this giant church of thousands of people and then, you know, changed his, his dogma, uh, and everybody left. And it was kind of a sob story about how nobody would pay attention to him. All his brothers and his friends had left his side after years. But I, like you said, it's kind of a no one situation because I was kind of, Okay, so what should have happened? If that was wrong, then what should have happened? And I didn't really, they didn't really provide an answer to how it should happen. And 
it really, you know, so, and then you kind of put yourself in, well, what would I do? Well, you wouldn't hate somebody. And I doubt the people that worked for him hated him, you know, or I doubt that there was, you know, I, I can't speak for the situation, but I know just because someone doesn't go to your church doesn't mean they, you know, are mean to you or do anything bad to you. I mean, right. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Well, they even quoted Oral Roberts, who was his mentor and who's a bastion of conservative Pentecostal theology. And when this guy changed his views on salvation and universalism, Oral Roberts said, you're still my friend, you're still my brother, but you can't preach in my in my school anymore. You can't teach in my school. I, to me, that's that. an appropriate response. Yeah. Because you're not, he wasn't teaching something that lined up with what the school believed and professed and, and so on. Yeah, you could you could say, well, that's that's not fair, but it would be the same case. Like, say, you know, someone someone in, that's in charge of the NRA suddenly decides that guns are evil and should be disbanded. Is the NRA going to stand around and you know and change all their views because one person has had a change of heart? Yeah. I mean, you don't. You just be reasonable about the <laughs> the situation. Right. I guess it's um. It's a tricky thing to invest your... I mean, I just... The, the decisions that have to be made when you spend your life in ministry, preaching, and then to have a epiphany like this guy did. And, the, you know, in his case, it was universalism. But I could think and, you know, say I'm in ministry for 50 years and then, you know, I don't know... I can't give an example. Something changes in my, do, you know, my theology, and then you're just all of a sudden outcast. It's just, I can see it happening. You know, I could see not, not not something as big as there is no hell, but you know, I could see me believing something that maybe didn't align. You know, because they're all, and this is where. It, and I was talking to my dad, you know, you take a private poll of any church, none of them are going to line up, you know, it's just people, there's so many different flavors of what we believe, but there is, you know, everybody believes the Bible, but it seems like it could be taken so many different ways that there's just so many different variations of what it is. Um, but the main thing is Jesus Christ died for my sins you know, the, the four gospels and outside of that, it's, there's a lot of different, I don't know. Do you, there's so many different denominations. There's so many different flavors of Christianity. And the longer we go through time, the more there are. And it's going to, it seems like it's going to continue on that path, you know? So I, a certain point, I think we need to learn to be um, accepting of people that don't believe exactly the way that we do. Um, and this is a case where it was something huge, like not believing in hell, which changes everything. But I'm talking maybe more on the smaller things. And as we go through life or go through our ministry or whatnot and understanding people aren't going to believe exactly what you believe, you know? Yeah. But there's an old mantra that is used to describe this and in Christianity where it, 
the mantra is in, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. And it's a good watchword for how you approach situations like this. However, the problem is that universalism for many people is one of those essentials that we must be united about. Right. And so when you challenge that, it can, you know, can disrupt some of your core beliefs in, in heaven and hell and salvation and so on. And so that's why in this particular case, this issue became a big deal because it seems like you're not in line with the most basic of Christian beliefs. However, there are those that believe in universalism and will argue for it biblically and, and so on. So I acknowledge that there's two sides. Um, but you can see why in this case it's an issue that yeah. is divisive because it's one, of the, it's, it's one of those core tenets, those central beliefs of the faith that people expect you to be united on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, too, one of the sidebars maybe this topic is leaders and followers. You know, there's always there's always leaders and there's always followers, and uh, you know, leaders gather people around them. And another mantra of the church is they come in a crowd and they leave in a crowd. But you know, like in the Old Testament, Moses was a great leader, and there were points where people wanted to step off; they didn't want to follow him. They didn't believe. At one point. He was amazing, and at another point, he wasn't as amazing to the people, to the followers. Uh, John the Baptist was a leader until at some point he, I don't know if he won, he didn't really 180, as you said earlier, his his view. But, you know, eventually uh, he lost followers and actually lost his life. Jesus uh, lost followers and lost his life. You know, at least in today's world, Men don't usually lose their lives over their message. But the idea of a leader and a follower, a leader has to lead in what they believe God has given them to lead in. And so if they're preaching a message, they're speaking a message, uh, you know, sometimes men start moving into an area that they believe God is revealing to them and it's present day revelation and you know maybe you're going to be the the next Martin Luther and lead the church into a you know a new era or something and i think that there's a lot of guys that are out there that you know they're preaching and teaching and studying and thinking and talking to other people and they begin to investigate something and then they begin to talk about it it's part of their heart it's part of their life's message they again began to speak it uh, speak it and teach it and there'll be a lot of people just say you know to reiterate matt's uh simile of the nra you know we believe in people having guns and all of a sudden they change it so people are like well i gotta step off here you know and i haven't heard this podcast but you know the thing you set, sent it to me, it had the word heresy in it, you know. So I think that if uh, everybody has their own bottom line with, oh, that just crossed over the line, and I don't believe that way, so, you know, I'm going to label this person a heretic. And I think just the idea of leaders and followers, there's always going to be people that are leading and people are following. And if you're a leader, you just understand that making the hard decisions, sometimes you're not going to be popular. Sometimes you start teaching a certain direction in a certain way and people are not going to like it and are going to leave. 
Because even if you stay the same, you don't even 180. You just stay the same. People are going to be coming and going and leaving. Anyway, it comes with the territory of being a leader, I think. Yeah, and people, I always hear you say, like, people vote for their feet. You know, and I just think we've talked about big churches falling, and this is the case of that. And men do crazy things when they lose their business, <laughs> you know, and mm. you can scream and holler and call NPR and mm. fight. But when it comes down to it, nobody's made to go to a specific church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They vote with their feet, you know, they vote. No, no one church has a handle on yeah. complete truth either. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just impossible because you're clouded by your human nature. Yeah. You know, and that's why there's, there is diversity of beliefs it doesn't mean that that real objective truth doesn't exist it just means that we all approach it from our own unique perspective mm-hmm. um and it makes things complicated yes it makes things gray and i actually think you said that division will continue i actually think we're moving into an era sort of of post-denominationalism where our our minute differences in doctrine are actually less important these days than they once were. I just, I, I get that sense that people are less interested in arguing over the minutia of, of doctrine and being divisive over it. And I think that's a good thing because I think it will present the church as a more united body, a more united uh, organism worldwide. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there are limits. Sorry, James. I think yeah. there are limits. I think there are boundaries where you can say, look, if you don't believe these things, if you go too far, you're not really, you know, a, a Christian anymore. I think there are some yeah. limits. And I, I think that Jesus Christ is really the, the main boundary, the main limit, your, your belief in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's really any biblical mandate to, here's how you should find a church. You should make sure that they are line upon line and precept upon precept, you know, just right down the line with teaching the truth. Because you can't really define that. It's so subjective in some areas. And that's why churches have statements of faith. We believe in this and that. So that people that are church shopping can say, oh, no, you know what? I believe in this element, and that's not listed as one of their key features. So I can eliminate that church. I don't think that any of that, I don't think there's really any biblical mandate for that's how you should find a church. You know, to me, it's like, I believe in the local church, that you should be involved in a church that's close by to where you live and work and with people that you agree and disagree with. And uh, you get challenged by teachings, whether you believe them all or not. And, and you're a strong enough person that if... You know, somebody gives a series of lessons on universalism or pick another, pick any topic, and you don't believe with it, it'll cause you to go to the Word and look it out and think about it and and uh, have discussions and, you know. Agree to disagree. Yeah, you agree <laughs> to disagree and walk together in unity, you know. Right, and that's a good word to bring up at this point because a lot of churches strive for unity. But I really believe that unity is not that we all think and believe the same things. I, I just think we have, because that's too hard. It's too much to expect, and too much church shopping is done on the basis of 
discovering a church that believes exactly what you believe and yeah. preaches exactly what you yeah. preach. And there's no, there's little growth yeah. in a, in a no. place like that yeah. without challenge, without yeah. contradiction, without struggle. There's, there's not much personal growth. Yeah. And Unity, I think, is that just a united purpose, and that purpose has to be around Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And if you're, if you can be united in purpose, but have different beliefs, you know, you you can accomplish a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you can start going to a church in the summertime and think, oh my God, I I love this church, I love the people, and I love what's being taught and stuff. Then the holidays come around, and it's like, oh no, they're pulling out a Christmas tree. I don't believe in that. Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, my world is shaking. Now what am I going to do? You know, I should have shopped for a church during the Christmas holidays so I could have made sure that they don't have any kind of religious trappings. You know, if that's important to you or whatever. People hang on to those things. Yeah. So you know, it's I don't know. I keep thinking of the difference between baptism, Baptist, and and um, charismatic. Would we consider charismatic or... Are we? I'm going to sound stupid. Yes, yeah. Pentecostal and charismatic are... The same thing. Pretty synonymous. But the difference is you're, generally the word charismatic is applied to um, a non-Pentecostal church or, or ministry that discovers the Holy Spirit. So you, you might be, as opposed to a Pentecostal, you might be a charismatic Catholic where you're a Catholic but you believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Most Catholics won't, but you know, a Baptist by def usually doesn't. But a Charismatic Baptist does believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I just, I see huge division between Charismatic and like Baptist Church, um, just in my personal journeys in my life and friends that I know that have discovered the Holy Spirit or not. And um, but I think those are the things that. And no, I'm not talking about one side or the other. It just seems like in my life, and I know if it's not your life, it doesn't seem like that. But in my life, it seems like it's a a constant back and forth or a constant, almost not a war, but just a constant argument. But both sides are kind of hanging on to what they believe. And it, yeah. it gets ridiculous at a point. And I think... You know, those are the type of things that need to fall for us to work in unity. And not even saying, okay, we're going to make them all believe what we believe. Not just understanding what they believe and respecting it and knowing that they believe in Jesus and moving from that, you know, and just yeah, being okay with it. I like, too, the idea that this was on uh, the NPR's... Uh, program called This American Life because uh, in a different recent uh, talk it was mentioned that there is uh, an actual theme of that podcast which is wow I thought uh, I, you know, I, I was living my life thinking this was going to happen and in actuality something completely different happened that's a theme that, it, that runs current in every single one of those uh, podcasts and it's like uh, it could actually be because the way God works 
and because he is constantly changing our lives and wanting us to learn how to deal with change, you could call it this Christian life. <laughs> you know, because I think there's many, I think there are many, many Christians that think, I'm, I've gotten saved now, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, and now my life is going to go this way. And then all of a sudden, it's like it goes a different way that I did not see that coming. You know, and I think that's an important uh, part of this whole topic, too, is things don't always go as you think. And you begin to discover, wow, I was so, I believed so strongly that speaking in tongues is of the devil, since you're mentioning Pentecostal, charismatic versus others. You know, and then all of a sudden one day someone receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit and starts speaking in tongues. And it's like, oh, my gosh, something I was so against, something I thought was of the devil. All of a sudden now I've experienced that. And as they say, the tasting's in the pudding. You know, it's like you can't, you know, until you've experienced something, you don't really know. Someone can explain it to you and tell you what it's like. But until you've actually experienced it, you just can't know what you don't know. And, and Carlton Pearson, who's the pastor we're discussing, is not the first person and won't be the last that as they get older, they become more gracious, you know, and there, there have been many cases and I can, you know, I can name uh, Henri Nouwen, Thomas Merton as two others that I, I'm aware of that as they aged, they become, they became more and more universalist as they got older and they got accused of heresy in their last days. But I actually think it was a consequence of a life lived of, of grace and mercy where by the time you get older, you're like, I don't, I just want everybody to be saved. I want everyone to be included. The love of God. Look at the, you know, the, the, the gospel uh, or the disciple John too, who started out being named as a son of thunder and ends up writing those three epistles at the end of our mm -hmm. New Testament that are full of grace and love and mercy. And he's just a typical mm -hmm. example of someone that's, when you've experienced the love and mercy of God for a lifetime, it, it mellows you out and you become more gracious and loving as a person. And it, it just, it makes sense to me that somebody that's experienced that would adopt more of a universalist stance, doesn't it? I mean, cause yeah, that's absolutely because the argument is based on the love and compassion of God. Mm -hmm. And so Carlton Pearson won't be the, the last person that, that follows that trajectory uh, either. And, and there's, there's a positive aspect to that it's a it's a life that's experienced grace and mercy and wants to extend that to to everybody yeah i'm not saying i you know agree with it i'm i'm just saying i can understand yeah. <laughs> i can understand the the path that someone would take yeah. yeah 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 the older i get i know the less i care about so many things that are not essential you know not important just reading in my devotionals the other day and just reading those words that you know or uh, the most important thing is loving one another. The most important thing. I thought, wow, if God would say, hey, the very most important thing. That's exactly what, I looked it up in the Greek, and that's what it meant, <laughs> the most important thing. You know, it's like uh, uh, you can get all Greeky and teachy about it as much Greek as you want, but it, the, it's the most important thing to God. And so when you start looking at life that way, it's like when, whatever with all this other stuff doesn't matter you know yeah We're supposed to love one another and that's that's what i care about and that's why grumpy christians make me mad yeah yeah what's with that what's with that
What's with that? What's that about? What's that about? Angry Christian? Grumpy Bear. I know. It's like, well, when we get called on it, we just have to seek the Lord and let him change our hearts, you know? And I think we all, our human nature tends to make us grumpy and fussy and all the other terms that my wife likes to use describing me, you know? (laughs) But it's up to me then to just surrender my heart to Jesus and not be love and mercy flow and make a commitment to unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and you know those are the things that are important and it mean, important. what that means is I lay the rest of stuff aside those other things are less important if loving one another is most important then everything else is less important right to the cross I look to the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do sing On it my Savior Both bruised and crushed Showing that God is love God is just At the cross you beckon me You draw me gently to my knees And I almost forward so Lost in love I'm sweetly broken Holy surrender
gently to my knees and I lost for so lost in love I'm sweet 